says then, Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated and the Tower of Hananel. People from the town of Jericho worked next to them, and beyond them was Zakor, son of Imri. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hasena. They laid the beams, set up its door, and installed its bolts and bars. Now, just, just for, for, for reference, here's what I'm going to ask you to do, right? When you go home, you're going to read and check out all the gates and how they were built because there are several things that are different. Now, from the second gate onwards, you'll see bolts and bars. The first gate, which is a sheep gate, there's no reference to bolts and bars. That is important. I just want you to bear that in mind because we're going to talk about the different gates. All right? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we bless you. We thank you for your word. Thine word is truth. We thank you that we are here by the intentional plan of God. It's not coincident. It's not accidental. God, there is a reason you have brought us here. And so we pray by the spirit of the living God that every ear will be open to hear your voice. Every eye open to see your truth. Every mind open and ready to understand your word. And every heart is ready to receive all that you have in store for us. We want to be more than mere hearers of your word, but doers also. Change us from the inside out. Above all else, Lord God Almighty, may your will be done and your kingdom come in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. So, so far we, we learned that Nehemiah was a man who desired to make a difference for the glory of God. He had a passion. And he had a passion. He cried out for the people. But he not only cried out for the people. He cried out to God. And he didn't just cry out to God. He didn't just pray. But he did something about what he prayed about. And so that's the sequence of how God wants us to get involved. One, we need to pray based on the passion that God has laid on our hearts. We cry out for the people, but we also need to seek the God of heaven to intervene in the affairs of people. And when we do that, we must not just pray about things, but we must do something about it. One of the problems we have is a lot of us, we like to tell people to do our burdens. Instead of, watch this, instead of, very simple, instead of doing our burden. What do I mean by that? Listen, you have a burden on your heart that's different from mine. You may have a burden for kids. And you want me to come and serve kids. When I have a struggle dealing with kids, my, my, my burden may be for the elderly. So whatever God has laid on your heart to do, do it with all your heart. And don't lay it on someone else to do it. Also remember we said that it is easier to pray than it is to obey. People like to pray their passions into action instead of working their passions into being. God wants us to get to work after we have prayed to him. Amen? And so we learned from chapter 1 that Nehemiah knew how to pray. He said, God, 
uh, put me, grant me favor by putting me in the heart of the king. By the time he got to the king, the king says, Nehemiah, what do you want me to do? And the king gave Nehemiah more than he asked for. In chapter 2, we learn and we saw how he tackled a tough job. And how uh, he allowed God to do the work and he got out of the way. And the principle from that is that we don't start a work. We look where God is working and we join him in his work. I'm not here to initiate anything. God is the beginning. And so God starts the work. We see where he, what he's doing and we join him. It was God who said, for example, to Moses, I have heard the cries of my people in, Israel, in, in, in Egypt and I have come to deliver them. And what Moses did was join him. It was God who empowered David and David joined God in defeating Goliath. Too often we try to do works and then we ask God to join us. And when that happens, it falls apart because God must be the initiator. He is the beginning and the end. We are not the beginning and we are not the end. We are not even the middle. We are just help meet. We are, help to, we are here to help what God is working on and what God is working out. So this week, we're at chapter 3 and we're going to talk about the gates. And the, the chapter is actually divided into three portions or three parts. There is the pattern that is evident in the scriptures, the people, and the places. Week 1, we said place is important because God created place before he created people. So when the name of a place is important, it, 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 in the scripture, we must pay attention so because it didn't just say gates, but every gate has a name, we must pay full attention to the meaning of the names of the gates. So the pattern, the people, the places. So let, let me just give you an overview of the pattern. All right. One of the things that as you read this week, you'll see from Nehemiah chapter 3. This will get your attention. The word next. Next is used 14 times. In chapter 3. And next, every time it is used, it is outlaying the pattern of God's work. We find that the work of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, it was an organized work. With the leadership taking the lead and the people cooperating with that leadership. We saw that in verse 1. Then it speaks about the high priest and the other priests started to build. It started with leadership and then the people got involved in the work. There are also 42 groups of people listed in this work of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. 42 different groups. You wonder, why would God go through such details? It's like the ark. Everything that was done to the ark, God outlined. And when you see that happening, there is a need to check the details. So each man had an area of responsibility. And God noted each worker... And put that worker name in the word of God. Each person in the church today has a responsibility. And if you, if you take it in terms of spiritual principle. You can go to the body. We, we've been the body of Christ. You being a hand. I'm a foot. One is an eye. An ear. So all of us have a function. All of us have a role. You may not be the leg. But you are an ear. Right? And so there are times when the ear is important to hearing. 
so that the leg can get into action. So every person has a responsibility. Same way it was in rebuilding the walls and in reconstructing life, we are all important. We all need each other. One person didn't do the work. Nehemiah didn't do it. So we all need each other in reconstructing society and reconstructing our lives individually. So while no man can do everything, all men can do something. Amen? There's no one person who can do everything. But all of us can do something. So the task of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem is a wonderful object lesson for the work of the church today. So we too, um, we must have organization. The church is not an organization. It's an organism. It's a living being. But we must be organized. God is a God of order. And when we work as a people of God, we must be organized. One plants, one waters, but God brings the increase. There must be organization. Leadership and people must be willing to work together and get involved in the task of evangelizing the lost and edifying the saints. So we have two duties. One, to evangelize the lost. And also, we ought to edify the saints of God. So every child of God has been gifted by the Holy Spirit to do something. If you're a born-again believer, there's something that God wants you to do. You weren't saved to sit. You were saved to serve. There's a place in the kingdom that's for you. There's something that God sees that he wants you to do. And God is much more interested in our availability than our capabilities. Let me say that again. God is more concerned with our availability than he is with our capability. God can take the available person. I, I like this. A few years ago we said this, right? Availability is like a compound word, right? Avail is one. And ability is one. Compound, they join together. So avail has to do with being um, ready, fit for use. An ability means to do. So if you avail yourself, God will give you the ability. That's avail ability. You have to avail first before the ability comes. Amen? God wants us to make ourselves available. And he will give us the capabilities to do the things that he has called us to do. But I want you to notice that even in Nehemiah days, there are some who refused to get involved in the work. How sad. With all that is happening, you'd think like the church would be gung-ho about getting people saved. Like everyone would be excited. Man, there's a pandemic and people are lost, people are dying. No, the harvest is ready. Let's go and share the gospel. But people are saying, well, I don't want to die. I'm afraid. What if I get COVID? What if I die? I mean, anyone here wants to go to heaven? No, like seriously, if you want to go to heaven, put your hand up. All right, thank you, Jesus. I'm glad. That, let me just, woo, all right. So, so, I mean, I have a fast way to get to heaven. Hey, do the work that God has called you to do. And as soon as you're finished it, then you go. 
When you fulfill your God-given purpose on earth, then it's time to go. There's nothing else for you to accomplish. So here's my, here's my plan. I'm going, to, if, I'm going to go and share the gospel. And if God decides to take me, I'm gone to a better place. But there are people, if you go to the, the end of verse 5 of our text, it says, next, there are people, there are people from Tekoa, though their leaders refuse to work with the construction supervisors. So even in Nehemiah's time, people refused to do the work of rebuilding. Which is happening today. There are people who want to sit in church and enjoy the, 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 uh, the training ground instead of going out on the mission field. They didn't want to work. You know what? I like how God made mention of these people. The, the second thing is the people. And throughout chapter 3, we find that there are a variety of workers. There are priests and rulers and craftsmen and even Jews from other cities. We should also note that there are some people who are willing to do extra work. That happens in the church today. Some work um, at home. Of course, this is where our work as Christians ought to begin. So people, in the, in, if you read in the text in verse 10 and um, verse 23 he spoke about those who work at home because the truth is the work of an evangelist starts at home if you are a prophet the first place you prophesy is at home if you are an apostle the first place you show your apostleship is at home if you are a preacher listen the biggest crowd you will ever have to preach to is yourself and if you do a good job at doing that you'll get a bigger audience that's where it begins you have to, in Jamaica we say you have to dance a yard before you dance abroad. What that means is that, listen, you have to be living godly at home. You can't be preaching on Sunday and live like the devil at home on Monday. Your kids need to see the same you in church at, well, the same you in church at home. If the you in church is the godly, I, I would think so, but you, right? But you can't have one you and Sunday worshiping God and then your family experience the other you. Some workers were the only one from their families. Some workers were more zealous than others. Some were even farmer backsliders when you read a text. Then you had the places. And this is where we're going to lock into this morning and lean into by the Holy Spirit. There are Definite spiritual lessons for us as we examine rebuilding, the rebuilding of the gates in the walls of Jerusalem. It is, a gracious, it is gracious of God to record for us in his holy word a marvelous picture of the Christian life in these gates. So it gives the progression of the Christian journey, of the journey of faith. So there are ten gates listed by name and each one of them is significant. Alright, we're not going to go through all ten, but they are in your Bibles. Read it. There are ten gates. In fact, there are ten that are named, but there are two others that are listed in Nehemiah, making it a total of twelve gates. This is the same number of gates which will be in the walls of the new Jerusalem. So if you go to Revelation chapter 12, let me just read that for you. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation is at the back of the Bible. Right? 
And it's not, it's not Revelations. It's Revelation, right? Revelation chapter 1. Sorry, chapter 21. Let me just find that for you quickly. From verse 12 to 13. Revelation 21, 12 to 13. It says, The city wall was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. All right? And the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. So what you're seeing in Revelation is a picture. Well, what Nehemiah is doing is giving us a picture in the book of Nehemiah about what is going to happen in the end times. It has a prophetic sense to it. Because there are 12 gates in Nehemiah. And each of these gates represented one of the tribes. Do you know that each of the tribes also represents the pathway to the child of God and faith? We're going to work through them. Alright, so we're going to examine the gates by name and the significance of these gates. So go back to the text. And the first gate that is mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 3 is the sheep gate. Amen? That's what's in your Bible. Sheep gate. Alright? That's the first gate mentioned. It says, the sheep gate, they dedicated it and set up its door. And with this, there is no bars or no locks on this. The very first gate mentioned speaks of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. For without sacrifice, there can be no salvation. The sheep gate is in reference to uh, a gate where the sheep Go through. Make sense, right? If it is a sheep gate, sheep's, sheep's supposed to go through it, right? In today's context, who are sheep? We. Alright? So the beginning of the journey of faith is at the sanctified gate. The only one that was sanctified with blood are dedicated. The sheep gate. And that is pointing to the fact that there is no salvation Without the blood. The shed blood of the Lamb of God. For John 1.29 says. Behold the Lamb of God. Who taketh away the sin of the world. Right? So if you notice in the text. There are no locks. There are no bars. On the sheep gate. Well, why is this important? It is important because the door of salvation. Is ever open to all who will be saved. It is the only gate of all the gates mentioned that there are no bars on it and there are no locks on it. It means that it is always swinging wide open every time, every nation, every generation for those who want Jesus. The sheep gate is always wide open. So man have no excuse. Jesus desires that none should perish but that all should come to eternal life. The journey of faith begins with us coming to the sheep gate. It is the first gate that was built or, or rebuilt or repaired. It starts right there. I want you to also notice that this is the only gate that was sanctified. Setting it apart from all the others as a special gate. Through the sheep gate, they would bring the sacrificial animals laid on the altar at the temple. Again, speaking to Jesus being the sacrificial lamb of God. This was the only gate of all the gates on this wall where the sacrificial animals could go through. Say, God is so awesome. And all of that was pointing to Jesus 
on the cross. One day, dying so that we could have salvation. Through the sheep gate, the priest would use this gate. It is the only gate that was sanctified. And this gate reminds us of Jesus, the Lamb of God. It all begins and ends with Christ. Why? Because he's the Alpha and he's the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world who will bear the scars for eternity in heaven. This gate Jesus carried on the cross and made the ultimate sacrifice. You see, Jesus is a special Lamb. He's a Lamb without spot. He's the Lamb without blemish. He's also the silent lamb because he suffered our shame in silence. Jesus gave no answer. He suffered. He went through all that he did without rebutting, without arguing. He died on Calvary's cross. Say, I'm going to take your shame. I'm going to take your sins. I'm going to take your pain. And here's what. When you come to life and you are ready to rebuild, start at the sheep gate. That is where I laid my life down for you. It is wide open to every generation. To every people. It's open for the young. It's open for the old. The sheep gate has no locks on it. It has no bars on it. Come as you are. Love this. There's a story about this Christian man. He worked in a slaughterhouse. And he told of his experience. As the one who had to put a bullet into the head of the cattle. As they came to his station. He said they came to him so noisily, mooing, or mooing, snorting, and loudly complaining about their captivity. And he never had a problem with his job of silencing those brute, noisy beasts. Then one day they brought in a truckload of lambs and asked him to slaughter them. He said they brought him the first one who stood there and looked at him with big eyes. He was instructed to slit the throats of the lambs rather than shoot them. It felt different than before. But reluctantly, this Christian man reached down and he, and he slit its throat. And it just looked at him as it began to bleed to death. It laid its head and his arm and began to lick the blood off it. The man said, I was done. I laid down my knife and never went back. He said, it reminded him so eerily of that verse which said of Jesus, he stood silent before his accusers. Such a compelling story because though the, the cow mooed and complained. All the ani other animals, when the lamb came, the lamb was licking up the blood and leaning on the man's shoulder. Without complaining, without making any sound, Jesus is the lamb of God, slain from the foundations of the world so that we one day would have salvation. See, Jesus, the sheep gate is mentioned first. Why? Because Jesus came 
the first time as a silent lamb to the slaughter. But he's coming back as a lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming with a loud sound when he comes again. The trumpet will sound and he will return. When he came, he was a silent lamb. When he returns, he will be the lion of the tribe of Judah. He came first for a tree. But the next time, he comes for a throne. He came for a cross. But the next time, when he returns, he returns for a crown. He came as a redeemer. But when he comes again, he comes as a ruler. The sheep gate is a starting point of Nehemiah's reconstruction project in rebuilding of the city. I put it to you that the rebuilding of our nation, our city, our church, our community starts with the sheep gate. It's also the starting point of rebuilding our relationship with the Lord. It starts with salvation, with the sheep coming through the sheep gate. For there is no other name given by which men can be saved except the name of Jesus, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. It doesn't end there. It is the first gate, but it's not the last gate. The second gate is a very interesting one. If you continue in the text, it says the fish gate was built by the son of Hasana. They laid the beams, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bar. Merimoth, son of Uriah, and grandson of Hakaz, repaired the next section of the wall. Right? I want you to understand, so words are very important. So in your Bible, the first gate, you need to re- underline this, it was rebuilt. The second gate was repaired. And those things are important. We'll go get to why that is important. So the, sh- the fish gate is the second gate. Now the fish gate, if you understand scripture, when you talk about fish, you know what it's talking about, right? Go fish. It means after you have been saved, it's time for you to do what? Get people. Get people saved. Alright. So after you have been saved, your first duty is to get people saved. I like the scripture, right? There's a, there's a story about this woman who, she, well, she met Jesus at the well. And, and, and you know what? And she went all around and Jesus said, I'll give you water that you'll never thirst again. And she had an experience, an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And immediately, what did she do? She goes back to her community and her village and she said what? Come see a man. All right, what does that mean? The moment she got saved, she became an evangelist. All right, so here's the problem with the church. We believe that when we get saved, we need to go through evangelical classes before we can become evangelical. Amen? Uh, Some of us are still learning Romans' role to salvation. We're learning all the practical principles and the know-hows and all of those things. And we have yet to share the gospel. This lady, in a moment, almost the same day she goes back to her village. The moment you move 
From fish to fisher, you have to go and get fish. Amen? If you were a fish and Jesus saved you, you are now a fisher, so you need to go and get fish. Because after the sheep gate, the next gate was the fish gate. The next gate that was repaired was the fish gate. And it speaks of the work of the believer as a soul winner. Uh, Mark 1, 16 to 18 says, As he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting uh, a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Come on, just turn to the person beside you and say, follow Jesus and you will become fisher. You have to say, a fisher of men. There you go. Alright, we have to get the English right, okay? Alright, so come on, just turn, let's get it right. Say, look at him and say, follow Jesus and you will become a fisher of men. And here's what they did immediately. They immediately left their nets and did what? No, they, they, oh, they spoke in tongues. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. They didn't speak in tongues. Oh, you know what they prophesied? No, no, they didn't do that. Well, they raised the dead. I mean, right now we need people to raise. No, they didn't do that. They left their nets and they followed him. For what purpose? Not to speak in tongues. Not to raise the dead, not to prophesy, not to be pastors, not to be preachers, just to get other people saved. Here is what has happened in the church. When we get saved, we want a position before we do. Jesus says, you do and you get a position. It is at the back end of the ministry that they got position. We want it in the beginning. <laughs> you know, well, pastor, I'm saved now. You know, and... Um, I used to sing back in the days, you know what I mean? So, um, I'm, I'm ready for worship. Hallelujah. I, I, I'm, I'm a good soprano. You know what I'm saying? You know, you know Pastor, I, I, I just, I know I got baptized last week, but I have, I know I have the gift of prophecy from childhood, you know. I remember I used to prophesy that it was going to rain and it rained. So, you know, you know, God has been working. I'm ready now. L- listen, that's what we want to do. No, no, no. Jesus says it's different. You get saved. You fish for people. And when, when the fishing season is about to end, you get a position. Well, well, pastor, you don't know who you're talking to. You know. I, was, I, was, I was deacon in my last church. I was, I was, I, I, like, I, like, I, like, I, like, I like the church now. Because I'm wondering if your title moves with you. Like, if you're an evangelist in this church and you move, are you still an evangelist if you're not ordained in that church? Like, like we, we, we kind of do church differently than in scripture time, right? Because the, the, the whole purpose of the gospel was to teach us that all of us are evangelists. All of us are pastors. All of us are prophets. All of us pray. All of us worship. All of us. No, nothing is wrong with those positions, but we have made the positions more important than the work commissioned to the position. 
Amen. So he said, follow me and I will make you pastors. No, no, no. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I'll make you archbishop of Ocherios. No, no, no. He said, no, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So God has commissioned all Christians to be fishers of men. To communicate the gospel of Christ to a lost and dying world. There is no greater privilege in all of the world than to be an ambassador for Christ. That's the greatest calling. You see, Paul taught the Corinthians concerning the ministry of reconciliation. Which is bestowed upon all believers. We all have the ministry of reconciliation. That is why Church on the Rock, our mission statement, that, that, that part says, we exist to win the loss. The moment you get saved, your first duty is to win the loss. You know who are the evangelists in the church? All of us. All of us are evangelists. Because we exist to win the loss. Not a particular group. We exist to win the loss. So the fish gate also was located west of the sheep gate. It was one of the main entrances to the city. Through the fish gate, the fishermen would bring their catch from the Sea of Galilee, and then they would sell it in the market. What does this remind us of? It reminds us of soul winning. After we come to Christ through the sheep gate, the first commandment Jesus gave us was to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The fish gate reminds us to get involved in evangelism. We have been called to be fishers of men. And so Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Do you know what that means? Let me break it down for you. We have no right to call ourselves followers if we aren't fishing for men. If Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. If you're not fishing for men, then you're not following. Because if you're following, you're going to be fishing. <laughs> they go together, right? That's what the scripture says. To follow Jesus, you're going to be a fisher of men. If you're not fishing for men, then who are you following? So let me ask this. When is the last time you walked through the fish gate? When did you last bring a soul into the boat? There's no greater miracle church than to make us who were fish become fishers to make the saved ones saviors to make converts into converters the receiver of the gospel into an imparter of the gospel you see I think all of us this morning if you are saved the work is but half done until you're employed to bring in others to Christ. Getting saved is the beginning gate. It's not the end gate. It is a starting gate. But too many today get saved and sing, I have won. You have not won yet. You have been won. You have been won by Christ. But you have not won yet. 
We have not won until we start making disciples who make disciples. You are but half formed into the image of your Lord. You haven't attained full development of the Christ life until you are making disciples. You are preaching the gospel and you are catching fish. You won't find rest to the sole of your feet until you have been the means of leading many to the blessed Savior. If Christ is our confidence and our hope, if Christ has caught us, we must catch others. Think about it. Imagine the person beside you missing all that you're experiencing. Tell people, my job is not to get people saved. My job is to present, remember we did this last week, to present the gospel. What happens is up to them. But my job is to present the gospel. To tell them what Christ did for me. I was a sinner lost in sin. Wicked and cruel. I know you don't think you are that bad, but all of us were wicked sinners. You may be saying, well, but I'm just 12 years old. I'm not wicked. Well, sorry, you're just a wicked 12-year-old who needs Jesus. <laughs> That's how it is. It's real. All of us. And Christ saved me. That's it. Listen, I don't know. I don't know. They asked one guy, listen, what, what happened? Who is he? All of these things. I, I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know the book of Genesis yet. I don't know what Revelation 20 verse 10 says. I don't, I don't know any of that. I don't know the, the six, six books. I don't know that. I don't know what's in the New Testament. I don't know what no in the Old Testament. I can't explain to you what laying of hands mean. I can't explain to you the move of the whole. Yeah, one thing I know. I once was blind, but now I see. And you wonder, can somebody really hear that and get saved? Well, you know me. I once was blind. Look. Now I'm seeing. And he did that. And if he gave me sight, he can give you a new life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm gone. If you don't get saved after hearing that, that's up to you and God. Not up to me. Because all I know is all I can share. What Jesus did for me. I don't need to fancy it up. I don't need to add anything to it. So you have a story. Just share it. And trust God to bring salvation. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So, let us ask him to give us grace to go fishing. Cast our nets and bring in the catch to the fish gate. So may the Holy Ghost raise up among us master fishers. We need to walk out these doors today like there were the fish gate and beyond is a great sea of people who need to get hooked on Jesus. See, God help us if we are too busy dragging other things into our boat. And some of us, we are busy fishing for the wrong things. We are fishing for possessions and sport and pleasure and vacation and the likes. And the boat is filled with all things except men that we are supposed to bring in. So concerned with the things of life that we are letting people go. They are only a grab away church. And they will drown. Not in an ocean. But in the lake of fire. So are you using the fish gate? The, the, the final gate we are going to look at this morning. Is the old gate. That's in verse 6. So. Yeah, verse 6 says. The old city gate was repaired. 
Right? So this is where now the word repaired is used. The old city gate was repaired. Remember the fish gate was built. The sheep gate was built. The old city gate was repaired by Jehoda, son of... Listen, we're going to skip all of those names. I'm telling you that... You work that out when you go home. You just Google it and just ask the, the pronunciation thing. And they'll say it for you. You know what I'm saying? Hold on. You're right. You, you work with that. The third gate was, was, was repaired. Right? It was the old gate. It speaks of the importance of the old parts and the old truths of God's word. You see, the world is ever looking for some new way or some new thing. Acts 17.21 says this. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. I want you to notice this morning that there is no other way but Christ and his cross. Jesus is not a way. The cross is not a way. It is the way. There is a difference. There is not option A, B, and C. There is one way, and it is through the cross. You see, God help us. If we who know Christ decide that Christ is not the answer to the problems of the world, people need to know as we rebuild our communities, reconstruct them, that Jesus is the answer. He is, he's not an answer. He is the answer to life problems. He is the one who can save. He's the only one who can deliver. For who the Son sets free is free indeed. There's no freedom in no other name but in the name of Jesus. People need to know that an economical turnaround is not the answer if Jesus is not in it. If God is not in it, it is all wasted. Solomon said, listen, it is vanity. All the things that the world could present to you, I've had them all and more. And they are nothing. They are all meaningless. See, there is a definite need in the church today for sound and fundamental doctrine from the pulpit. See, the world does not need more of the same thing. The world needs truth. And the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. It's time for the church to Stop presenting Jesus as add-on. And present Jesus as the main thing. Because the scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And things get added. The church wants to tell people, listen. Now that you have done this, add Jesus. Jesus is not addition. Jesus is beginning and end. He starts it. You can't add him onto what you have started. He is beginning. Anything that God is in, you understand that, that, that you can't start something and add Jesus to it. Because Jesus is the beginning and the end. If he's not starting it, he's not in it. So what it means is that, listen, some people believe that, hey, uh, hmm, well, I, I guess I could serve Jesus now because I've done all I needed to do. 
I've gotten all I needed. So now I can give him some time. So I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to get baptized. They don't give their life to the Lord now because they weren't really sinners. They were just decent, upstanding citizens in the commonwealth of the world. And they believe that by just coming to church and add on Jesus, hallelujah, they have made it into glory. And the church is telling, the church is telling you, come! Yeah, you see this car came that I just used? The Holy Spirit is in it. Pay a hundred dollars. And whenever you need deliverance, it is in this kerchief. Handkerchief. Uh, oh, where's the water? And the water one is a big seller. Like, like, listen, right now you need healing. Get the holy water. Hallelujah. Listen, no water can save you. No water can heal you. No olive oil can save you. No olive oil can heal you. No kerchief can save you. Jesus is the answer. So the next time a pastor tell you you have holy water, say, pastor, you, you need that water. Go and bathe in it. Until there's no more. never see Jesus walking around with no holy water. So Jesus was holy so whatever Jesus touched was holy. In other words, the child of God turns up and because he's living the life of God, if you move your hand and you touch this plant, it becomes holy because God is working in you. Listen, this plant don't make you holy. This plant don't bring the healing. But because I'm a child of God operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, where I stand becomes holy. It becomes holy ground. What I touch becomes holy. So, so I, don't, I don't know about you, but I don't want no holy water. Listen, listen. I don't know about you, but ain't nobody going to tell me that if I sow a hundred dollars today, I will reap a million dollars tomorrow. Because easy come, easy goes. I want God to bless me from nothing. So no man can take any credit for it. So I don't want you to believe that it is because you prayed for me why God blessed me. I want you to understand that God is blessing me because I am blessed and favored of the Lord. It is time for the church to go back to the truth, to the old gate. You see, the old gate was also called Jeshana Gate. There's a paradox associated with, with this gate. It was located in the northwest corner of the city. The section called the Mishnah or the new quarter. So the old gate led people to the new quarter. This reminds us of our never-changing message. If you go back to the fundamentals, God will bring you into the new things that he's doing. He says, forget the former things. Behold, a new thing springs forth. How do I deal with this? By going back to the former ways, to the things that Jesus practiced, where Jesus becomes my example and not what I see on television. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. Uh, hey, television is good, right? You must watch those things, but follow Jesus. That's all I'm saying. Watch TV, follow Jesus. A amen? Follow Jesus. So we may try new methods along the way, but our old message never changes. 
You see, all gates brings us to the place where we must learn the old ways and the truths. The emphasis of this third gate is on repair. The other gates had to be rebuilt, but this gate had to be repaired. This conveys the idea of God, of what God has established beforehand. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. I told you I was going to finish soon, right? Yeah. Um, we have five minutes left. Ephesians 2, 19-22. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's, of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. You see, the gate of the old wall was connected with a corner in the wall. So for the church of the living God, Christ himself is the cornerstone. Keeping the whole building together because a corner is for stability and security. So what that means... Is that we have to make sure we build on the right foundation. Not just daily, but even in times of of backsliding. Which is this time we are living in. We have to make sure we are building on the right foundation. And Jesus is that foundation. So people want to do new things to get to God. God is saying, listen, take the old parts and you will see new things. See, so, so church is trying to become, um, operate in a modern contemporary context. So we are adjusting to the world. And everything is being normalized. And everything like, we have to do that. So people will say, for example, Pastor, you know that we need to keep, you know, we need to keep, nothing is wrong with keeping a concert and getting a couple of the secular artists to draw the crowd and then you preach the gospel afterwards. And I'm thinking like, come on now. All Jesus, Jesus didn't have food. And he drew the crowd. And here's what happened. Because Jesus went to the old parts. What was the old path? He spent hours in prayers with the Father. And a shorter time in ministry to people. The new part is teaching us to get the crowd. And spend a whole lot of time convincing them. Jesus said, no, I'm going to spend more time with my father, see what my father is doing. And when I see what my father is doing and I go, people, he will show me where to go. So my work is short. You see, we want the masses. And then when we have the masses, we have a convention from 6 p.m. to 12 p.m. Pack up with all believers from all different kind of churches. We preach the message. The people get partly saved. Because as soon as convention done, them gone back and the church still empty. Jesus said, that's not the way how you do it. Here is how you do it. Church, spend time with the Father. Pray so much that people fall asleep and you have to wake them up. When you finish doing that and you go out and you see someone, the Father will direct you and he'll say, rise up and walk. And it happens. Your sins are forgiven you. And it happens. 
You see, the thing is that when we pray for people, you know what we do? Hallelujah. Jesus. Have you ever heard a church praying for someone who is sick? They spend four hours praying for the person to be healed. And when they are done, the person is still sick. And then they say, well, it's happening in faith. Just believe it. In time, you will see it. Jesus spent that four hours with the Father. And then he spends four seconds with the person. And he says, you are healed. I wonder if we should try Jesus' method instead of our own. I wonder the kind of success we would see if we did things the way Jesus did them. Go back to the old parts. We must go back to what Jesus has established. Total dependence on God. And we must build on what God has established. Following the examples of the apostles and the teachers. Then we will repair the gate. The old walls. And do it in the right way. You see a life of holiness and sanctification cannot be compromised. That's what it means going back to the old ways. Listen, your holiness is your responsibility. Your sanctification is your responsibility. Come on, just put your hand in your chest and say, My holiness is my responsibility. My sanctification is my responsibility. I will not compromise. I'm not responsible for you living a holy life. Because I ought to be striving in my own life to live a holy life. You see, we can't have the church become police officers for the believers when the world needs to be saved. The church is wasting time policing each other when the world is dying. We are checking up on each other's holiness when there are people out there in the world going to hell. It's time for us to stop policing each other's holiness and be soldiers in the army of the Lord out on the mission field. We have to go back to the old path where belief and acceptance of Jesus Christ cannot be compromised. People must know that they need to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Not just as For Jesus to be, for the Lord to be your shepherd, the shepherd must be your Lord. Jesus must be Lord and Savior. Some people want him to be Savior, but don't want him to be Lord of their lives. He is the Lord and Savior. In other words, if he's not Lord of all your life, he's not Lord of your life. And people must know that. We cannot compromise on that. We also must not compromise on the need for heartfelt repentance. I said it in the first service. That listen, saying I am sorry is not repentance. Anyone here married? I'm married. Anyone else married? Alright, hallelujah. Anybody here desire to be married? I mean, if you're young, you can put up your hand. It may not happen until 100 years, but you can still put up your hand. It's all right. Don't feel bad. All right. All right. If you desire not to get married, put up your hand so I can pray for you. Hallelujah. <laughs> Just kidding. But, but, but here we go, right? If you're married, I am sorry is probably the most common words 
in marriages. But here's the thing with it, right? There's a time... Uh, be honest with me. How many of you want to hear one more, I am sorry? Like, like you don't want to hear, I am sorry anymore. What you want is... Hallelujah. Come on, come on, come on. I love it. You are so bright. What you want is... Change of behavior. Who said that? Come to the front of the class. Hallelujah. I'm telling you. That's it. Listen, after a while, I am sorry is not enough. You basically say, show me by your actions that you're sorry. Repentance is like that. Repentance is not I am sorry alone. It is showing me by your actions that you are sorry. So if you say, I am sorry and do the same thing, you have not repented. You have just admitted that what you did was wrong. Admittance is not repentance. But admittance is a part of the process of repentance. What people do in the church today is that we admit that we have sinned. Especially when we get caught. (laughs) You know, because if we weren't caught, then we wouldn't be sorry. But because we got caught, we are sorry that we got caught. But we are not sorry for what we did to the point where we change. We need heartfelt repentance and that cannot be compromised. We also, the word of God cannot be compromised. And we say this because whatever you compromise to gain, you will eventually lose. We have to stick to the word of God. Amen? Thus says the Lord. This is Jeremiah 6 verse 16. We have five hours to go, right? Stand by. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Like, like, I'm like Paul, right? Finally, brethren. Finally, brethren, right? Thus says the Lord. By the way, by the ways, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient parts. Some translation says the old parts. Where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your soul. There's a place where you can find rest. When you go back to the old parts where you begin to fast and pray and live in holiness and sanctification before God. Where there's heartfelt repentance. Where if God says it, I believe it, that settles it. Uh, 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 when people say, what do you think about this? You tell them, well, the word of the Lord says. And they say, well, no, I don't want to hear what the Bible says. What do you think? No, 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 no. I'm an ambassador for Christ. I can only speak what the ambassador has given me. The ambassador says this. That's what I believe. You can take it or leave it. But I'm going to stick to the word of God. And if God's word says it is right, it is right. If it says it is wrong, it is wrong. Argument. Hallelujah. Many churches today are in trouble because they don't want to pass through the old gates. Creating their own interpretation. Falling for the conformity of the world. Too many Christians cast away our traditions. People don't fast anymore. You know, it's almost like anything goes because God has somehow changed. We throw aside the heritage that brought the gospel to us. Quickly embracing only the new thing that tend to water down the gospel and ignore the warnings of the word of God. In fact, there are people that they don't want you to preach about hell and talk about hell. Because that's too, that's too hard. People just need to know about the grace of God. And that is true. It is the grace of God why we tell you about hell. 
And people will say, well, well, God don't send nobody to hell. That is true. God sent nobody to hell. It's a choice. And God never imposes himself on our free will. So we need to keep passing through the old gates time and again. Lest we forget that this is the path into the new Jerusalem. And finally, brethren. No one can visit Mount Calvary until they first visit Mount Sinai. What does that mean? It is at Mount Sinai the Ten Commandments were given. And we all break them. Because you cannot be saved until you realize that you are a sinner. And that is why you must go to Mount Sinai. Because every time you see the law, you realize that I have sinned. And Jesus says, know that you have identified that you are a sinner. Acknowledge that you are a sinner. Come to Calvary and receive salvation. These are the old parts. The gospel cannot be accurately presented to people until people realize that they have broken God's law. Because you have to break the law to see a need for a savior. If you don't think you are a sinner, you can't need a savior. So many people are in the church today who didn't acknowledge that they are sinners. They just thought that it was time to give their life to the Lord. Not because they were sinners, but because they needed God to help them out with their lives. God is not a help out. He's a savior. We are the help out. God is not here to help us out. We help out God when he calls us to join him in his work. Listen, let me say it again. Until you acknowledge that you're a sinner, you won't appreciate your need for a savior. And that is why the scripture says the law is our schoolmaster. It leads us to the place where we say, I need a savior. Come and clap your hands for Jesus. Thank you. Just, just bow your heads with me. I want to pray for you as we get ready to leave. There are two sets of persons. I want to pray for you this morning or this afternoon. Very quickly, I won't be long. But I believe that God brought us here for a reason. And everything that God does, it's intentional. Hallelujah. So if you're here this morning and you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you once had a relationship with him and for some reason you have backslidden, you have strayed away. The first thing I want you to know that whatever state you're in, he loves you. And he loves you so much that this morning is another opportunity for you to commit your life to him. To acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a savior. I know you may feel like, well, I haven't done any big sin. But with a rich young ruler, Jesus said to him, go sell all you have and give it to the poor. And he immediately, his face and his countenance changed. Scripture also teaches that if you break one, you're guilty of all. It means that if, if you have lied, you have broken all the commandments. If you have fail to love people, you're broken the command of God. Because all the commandments are summed up in loving God 
and loving people. And if you acknowledge that this morning, it means that you need to move from Mount Sinai and move to Mount Calvary and kneel at the foot of the cross, lift your hands to heaven and say, Jesus, save me. If you do that, he will gladly receive you in his arms and forgive you. The second set of persons I want to pray for is for those born again believers who are still lingering at the sheep gate and they have not moved to the fish gate to make disciples of all men. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all things that Jesus has taught them. You haven't been a good fisher of men because you have become so comfortable in your salvation is that you have forgotten that others are on a path of destruction God's want, God wants to empower you by the spirit this morning that like the disciples he called you will become a master fisher of men winning many for the kingdom So if any of these two things apply to you, you need to recommit, you need to give your life to him. Or you need the strength, the power, the courage of God to be a witness for him as a believer. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right where you are. I want to pray for you this morning. Hallelujah. We bless your name. It's time to reconstruct, rebuild the broken down gates, repair the broken down gates. Say, we're standing, I'm going to ask you to just lift your hands. It's just a, a simple sign of surrender. Thank God because now therefore the scripture says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And God loves you. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you for every person standing. Thank you that you know Every heart's cry. You see beyond our lifted hands. You understand the condition of our hearts. So I pray in the name of Jesus this morning for those standing. That God if they are born again believers. I pray for an outpouring of the power of the Holy Spirit upon them. That they will be. Witnesses for you. That there will be fishers. Bringing saved souls through the fish gate. Give them eyes to see where you are working. So they can join you 
in what you're doing in the name of Jesus. Fill them with the spirit of love and power and of a sound mind. Pray for those who uh, may be returning to you. Maybe they have strayed, they have backslidden in heart and they are coming back to you. Thank you that like the prodigal son, oh Lord, the father ran out and met him and embraced him and gave him a new robe and a new ring and kept a big party for him. You're filled with joy when the saints return to the Father. So know heaven rejoices this morning in the name of Jesus. So if you're here and you're standing and um, you're giving your life to him, you're recommitted to him. I just want you right where you are, just open your mouth, believe in your heart. And just, just repeat after me, just say, Heavenly Father, I give my life to you this morning. I am a sinner needing a Savior, and only you can save me. Come into my heart and be my Lord and my Savior. I surrender to you. I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. believe that he died for my sins. Believe that he was buried, but now he's resurrected and seated at your right hand. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, church, just stand to your feet with me this morning. I'm going to invite the praise and worship team to come and join me. There's a little chorus. And I want us to leave here this morning with this little chorus.